Hope everybody had a good time, yeah? Yeah, enjoyed a little bit of food and, and fireworks and all that kind of good stuff. You know, I just want to, uh, I just want to shout out a, a real thank you. First of all, you know, we had our crusade last weekend, and uh, many of you probably were here for some or all of that. But I want to thank you, first of all, if you volunteered in any way, in setup, takedown. If you were part of the Usher team, our media team really did um, go beyond uh, uh, the, the limits in so, so many ways because we had so many services going on. So thank you for that. And uh, just, uh, just a quick report. You know, we, I don't have exact numbers, but we had somewhere around 150 decisions for Christ um, most of those were first-time decisions for Christ, salvation. Many of them were people recommitting their life, coming back to a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we had um, so many people healed. It was just crazy, uh, some of the testimonies of what God did in people's lives. We had uh, the guy, the pastor from Victory Outreach, come down with a bunch of his guys because he wanted them to hear the gospel. He wanted them to be a part of it. And one of them did get saved, and he was standing up here afterwards on Saturday night, and he waved me over, and he said, I have had severe back problems uh, for about a year and a half. Haven't had any feeling in my toes for about a year and a half. And he said, tonight, I was just standing there, and it all went away instantly. And he said, it's the first time I've had feeling back in my feet. And that's just, you know, I just give God the glory because he didn't even come. He came sacrificially for his guys, and then he got touched by God. So it was, a, it was a great week for us. And then yesterday, Tammy alluded already to the firecracker run. You know, what makes it significant is the city of Anaheim basically handed us a part of that whole event for us to be a part of. So the bags that were handed out all had Influence Church on it. They had, for the first time, we put in there a CD of a message I did on Jesus of the Second Chance, and they had flyers in there. And so if you th stop and think about it, somewhere around 1,400, 1,500 people received that and their families because they didn't come alone, most of them. Most of them came with two or three, and so that number was probably somewhere around five or 6,000 people that we influenced and that we got to personally shake hands with, say hi to, encourage. And it was so fun when I was standing there because people came up and just to get their bag. And, it's you know, it's early. It's 530 to 7 o'clock, somewhere in that neighborhood where they're picking up and registering for the race. And they don't expect you to actually be alive. You know, they really don't. And, and uh, go, hey, how you doing? And and hope you have a great fourth. And, uh, and God bless you. And they look at me like, yeah, okay, thank you. And I think whenever we get a chance to touch people in our community, to make an impact for God, we need to do that. Amen? We really, really need to take serious those kinds of opportunities. And we have another one because the city actually also handed us the fall run, which is called the Plymouth, Day, Plymouth Rock Run. And that's even a bigger race. That's about 2,000. So be thinking about being a part of that. It's early, I know. It's Thanksgiving Day. And uh, what a great way to kind of get things started. People ask me, are you running? In fact, even Anthony said he brought an extra pair of shoes for me to run. And I said, I run every day. I don't know if, how many of you know I run every day? 
I run out of time. I run out of money. I run out of all kinds of stuff. Amen. We all can relate to that kind of running. You know, I want to give you a quote. I, it's, uh, it's unknown in its source, but it's so powerful. I wanted to introduce this message today on the flood from Genesis 7 with this word. There are two great days in a person's life. The day you were born and the day you discover why. The day you were born and the day that you discover why. I wonder how Noah must have thought as he grew up. We don't think about Noah. We don't know anything about his growing up and what life must have been like for him. But I wonder what he felt about his purpose in life. Probably a lot of the same kind of things you and I think about in terms of why am I here? What's my purpose? You know, and depending on how you are emotionally that day, where you are in terms of just your temperament and things that are happening, the good and the bad, you kind of look at life and sometimes you might even say, you know, why am I here? What's my purpose on planet earth? If life is going well, you enjoy life at that particular moment, you don't think about things like that. You just kind of go through life and you enjoy life. You say hi, you go through that. But then in those times where life maybe plateaus a bit or even goes down a little bit, you look at yourself and you go, why am I here? You might even get super introspective, which is always dangerous. Have you ever got super introspective and got depressed? That's typically what happens, right? Because when we over-focus on us, on us as an individual, what we do is we become a little bit too self-pitying. And we have to look outside. So if we start asking this question, why am I here? Why did God put me on planet Earth? And God, I'm going to ask you that question, and I want you to show that to me. You know, the Bible says that Jesus intercedes. That means he prays for us. Have you ever asked Jesus how he's praying for you? You ever just stopped and said something like this, Jesus, I know you pray for me. Could you tell me how you pray for me? And then just stop and listen. Just wait. You know, we always want the quick answer, or we always like to ask God the yes and no questions, hoping that, you know, God, that he'll confirm our will for our life. But if you just stop long enough and say, Jesus, will you just show me why am I here? And it might be something very simple, and you say, well, that's not very exciting, but, but it, it is God's purpose for you. It might be, I put you here to love your community, love your family, make a difference, and glorify me. Now go do that and do it well. He might give you a specific kind of an assignment. He might open something up to you and show you something. But what we want to do is always be asking the right questions and then waiting on him to give us the right answers. Now, if you think about Noah, here he's growing up, and all of a sudden there comes a revelation from God. Maybe he asks that question. God, why am I here, and what's my purpose? And God says, Noah, you're going to be a preacher of righteousness. You're going to stand in the midst of the darkest hour in human history up to this point. And you're going to deliver your family and anyone else who's willing to come that way. And during that 120 years that Noah is building the ark, people are asking questions, and he is called a preacher of righteousness. And as he's preaching, as he's telling them about God and the coming return of God in judgment, some are probably saying, well, let me think about that. Some are saying, you know, you're crazy. But all the time, in all those challenges he was facing, he was building in tenacity. He was building character. 
He was building power and strength for what God was getting ready to do. And once the day came for God to, that Noah completed that task, now all of a sudden what's going to happen is God is going to give him a very specific instruction like this. It's found in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 1. It goes like this. Then the Lord said to Noah, then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. You know what's unusual about that? He doesn't say go into the ark. He says, would you come into the ark? You see, God was in the ark. Oh, God is everywhere at the same time. That's what we we, we speak about when we talk about the omnipresence of God. That is, there is no place that God is not. There is no place God has not been. And he's in all places simultaneously. And even greater than that, he created all places. Because he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. But he says, come, I want you to understand something of my presence. Come into the ark, you and all your household. Because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So God looked in this generation. He said, you are righteous. Now I want you to come in because something's getting ready to change. I wonder if God says something like this to him. You were created for a purpose. I want you to listen to that that word right now and just think about yourself. And I want you to say it to yourself. I was created for a purpose. God created me with a divine design to do something significant, and significant means something that's going to be fulfilling in my life. That's significant. Significant doesn't mean you're you're written into the annals of history. Significant doesn't mean that you're rich or you're famous or you have a great position. Significant means that you are fulfilling the divine destiny that God put into your heart. And you're living that out in your life in such a way that you can say, I was created for a divine purpose. You know, I love this uh, quote from John Maxwell. He said, many people don't believe in themselves. They don't see the possibilities that God put into them. They possess a hundred acres of possibilities, yet they never cultivate them because they are convinced they will never be able to learn, grow, and blossom into something wonderful. You see, when God created you, he created you for a purpose, and he created you to blossom, to bloom, and to thrive in society, in this world, in your household, in your job, in whatever you do. And that's how he created Noah. He created him with that same purpose. When we take our our Bibles and we begin to study Noah, we come to the book of Hebrews and we find him listed there in chapter 11, verse 7. And listen to what it says, by faith, Noah. What if that was the phrase in front of your word? By faith, and then put your name in. By faith, fill in your name. By faith, by faith I live, by faith I act, by faith I move, by faith, by faith, by faith. How would your life be different if you woke up in the morning and you said, today it will be by faith? I will go to my job by faith. I will ask you, God, to direct my path. God, today it will be by faith that I will look into your face. I will look into your word. I will seek out your spirit. I will seek out your heart. And I will do what you have called me to do. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned. You know what that is? Prophetic. He says, Noah, I'm going to tell you about the future. I'm going to tell you something about what's happening. I was kind of struck this week as I read a headline from the Israeli paper. An ultra-Orthodox Jewish rabbi who says the coming of the Messiah is imminent. 
And I read that, and I, as I began to study through that a little bit, and I began to see how he was putting his calculations together, I realized that he was of such stature and he spoke with such authority that he got the attention of the front page of the Israeli news. The coming of the Messiah is imminent. What did he see? What did he think? What was going on? Had God shown him something? Was God reaching out to him? It says there that it was by faith that Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. You see, that's what faith is. Is I walk not in what I see, I walk in faith what God shows me. For we look not, the Bible says, to the things that are seen. For the things that are seen, they're temporal. They're going to pass away. But we look to the unseen, for the things that are unseen are eternal. And so here we see in in this book of Hebrews, it was by faith that he looked of things not seen, and he was moved with godly fear. You see, when I take the time to reflect on what God has said, what God has revealed to me, and I really say, God, speak to me, the, the first thing that has to happen in my heart is I have to be moved with godly fear. That means a respect of what God has said. So I move with godly fear, but notice what Noah did. He did what we need to do. And let me explain a minute. He prepared an ark. You say, well, do I need an ark? Absolutely, and I'll show you what that is in just a moment. What was the ark for? For the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So what did Noah do? Noah got this revelation of God. He said, I've got to protect my household. And that door was never closed to anyone who would want to come in. The problem was no one wanted to come in in his generation. But the door was open. And God was inside that ark saying to all, would you come in? You see, Jesus is the door, the Bible says, to the sheep. He is the only way into the Father. And here is, here's Noah, and he's saying, what, what preacher of righteousness, I'm going to prepare the ark for the saving of my household. You know, we have to understand the challenges of our life, and we're all going to have them, the challenges in your life. If you right now said, if I, if I ask you, do you have a challenge in your life, you'd immediately say, yes, I have a challenge, and you could probably name what that challenge is. But you know what they do is they refine your focus. Because when you have a challenge, you look at your life and you say, what should I do? How can I live? What's going on in my life? You know, it's rarely that I quote the former KGB head, Vladimir Putin. Because he's not really the mark of character, Christianity, that I want to follow. How about you? But isn't it interesting when Vladimir Putin actually looks at America with a condemning finger and says, you guys are messed up. Now, you know that's bad. Let me give you the headline. Here's the headline that I pulled from an article. Putin, America is godless and has turned away from Christian values. Now, let me read just one quote from it. Many Euro-Atlantic countries have moved away from their roots, including Christian values. Policies are being pursued that place on the same level a multi-child family and a same-sex partnership, a faith in God, and a belief in Satan. This is a path of degradation. You know, the Bible warns in the book of Isaiah, woe to those who call good evil and evil 
good. Whenever we look at society and we look at that, that, that slide through which we, we filter right and wrong, and when all of a sudden they're backwards, when we should be seeing a positive, we're seeing a negative. When we should be seeing righteousness, we're seeing unrighteousness. When unrighteousness marches down the street, Main Street, and proclaims itself in the name of freedom, we have a problem. Let me take you back to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. I hope you will mark this down, go back and read this, because it's a powerful, a powerful warning to us as a nation. As we reflect on the great heritage of our nation and the great ways that God has blessed us as a society, let's look what God says here in Ezekiel 14. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man... When a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness. Now, I want to just stop you for a moment there and think about that. He's not talking specifically at this point about the nation of Israel, but obviously it's included in it. He says, when any land, any place, through persistent unrighteousness sins against me, through unfaithfulness, Look what he says, I will stretch out my hand against it, I will cut off its supply of bread, I will send famine on it, and I will cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three, now look what he he includes in here, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. Now, let me take you back and just kind of walk you through what's happening here. God issues a warning. It's a worldwide warning. He says, when you, when you sin against me by persistent unrighteousness, what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to bring famine in your land. I might bring a drought in your land. I might change your economy. It'll be my hand. I will Get involved in your life in the land. You cannot do that as a nation without my notice. And he said, and it can come to the place that even if you had Noah and Daniel and Job there interceding for that land, it would not be enough. Only those would be saved. Only those would be rescued. Rabbi Jonathan Kahn said this, we have become a civilization In spiritual schizophrenia, a nation at war against its own foundations, the Supreme Court opens its sessions with these words, God save the United States and this honorable court. But then this honorable court should overrule the word of God and strike down the eternal rules of order and right that heaven itself has ordained. How then will God save it? I don't know what the percentage is. I don't know what the power is of, in terms of what does it take on your part and my part and other believers in a land to stop or, or at least hold back the judgment of God. But I do believe that God has called us to be a praying church and a believing church. We can't be responsible for what other people don't do, but we can be responsible for what we do. We can be people of prayer. We can call out and believe God for great and mighty things. And well, we should do on a daily and a regular basis. 
One of the things that we've done here is we have started a school of ministry, and sometimes that kind of throws people off because they think, well, I'm not going into ministry. Well, the reality is every single one of us are in ministry. The day you signed up with Jesus, you signed up to be a mouthpiece for the kingdom. Remember Jesus said, hey, come follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. You see, Jesus expects us to be out there sharing the good news in whatever way. We want to equip every single person to to share their faith, to walk in faithfulness before God. So I want to tell you that school and ministry, the summer uh, class is beginning on Tuesday. It's called Truly Free. It's based on a book by Robert Morris. And I will tell you, I have, uh, I have read the book. I've got one chapter left, maybe two chapters left. And I have found it to be extremely, extremely powerful. And we'd like to have you come on Tuesday. You can sign up in the foyer and pick up your book. Uh, it's open to all. If you want to be a part of the school of ministry and have credit for that and, and be in the whole system, you can. If you just want to show up and take the class, uh, please do that. You know what I found is that God always rewards faithfulness. He always does. In fact, the Bible says that the man who honors me, I will honor him. And so when we reach out and we say, God, I want to honor you in my life. I want to do something for you. God always rewards faithfulness in our life. Let me go back to another Maxwell quote. Knowing the future is difficult. Can we agree about that? Why, if we knew the future, what would you do different? You say, well, how many times have you looked back and said, I wish I would have known I would have kept that house, that car, that job, or I would have sold them when I did or sold them much earlier, right? Because you don't know the future. So knowing the future is difficult, controlling the future is impossible, knowing today is essential. How do I live today? How do I look at life today? That's essential. Controlling today is possible in the sense that the decisions I make about today I can take control of, right? I can guide my mind. I can guide my heart in that way. But I want you to know, just as it was in Noah's day, there is a flood coming, not of rain. It is a flood of unrighteousness. It is changing the moral fiber of our nation and the world. This is unlike any flood we have ever seen before because it is a fulfillment of prophetic warning of the last days. Just as Noah and his family needed an ark of safety from the coming storm, so you and I need an ark of safety from the coming storm. Noah and his family were not saved by an ark, but they were saved by God. By understanding the revelation of God and walking in obedience to what God said is going to work and what is going to save you. You can save up and store up all the food you want, all the water you want, all the ammunition you want because you are afraid of tomorrow. But I will tell you, that will never save you. The only safety we have is when we find our security in God and the revelation of God. When God told Noah, come into the ark, he was inviting him into the presence of God. Without God in that ark, it was just an empty vessel. It was a boat that was subject to the storms of life. But when God got in the boat, something began to change. Just like those disciples, when they, when they saw Jesus walking on the water and the storm came up, and he spoke, and it stilled the water and the sea, and fear came upon him because the presence of God had entered into that sea, into that turmoil. One day, Noah entered the ark, and there was no sign of the coming storm at that moment. Noah had been asked about his possessions. He replied, you can keep them. 
I won't need them. The ark of God is all I need. And they laughed and they spurned at his message. No wonder he is called a preacher of righteousness. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so also will be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. For as the days before the flood there were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field, and one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken, and the other will be left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour in which your Lord is coming. When the day came, Noah heard the words, come in to the ark. He knew it to be the voice of God. It was the same voice that Adam and Eve heard in the garden when it says they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. Moses knew that voice from a burning bush. When God attracted his attention with that burning bush, that fire, the manifest presence of God, and he said to Moses, take off your shoes for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. He knew that voice. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they heard that voice also. Joshua heard the voice. Even Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king, heard the voice. Listen to what it says. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. Imagine that, a voice fell from heaven. Nebuchadnezzar, it is spoken to you. The kingdom has departed from you. God sent a warning out to Nebuchadnezzar. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. In John chapter 5, he says, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear it will live. Lazarus heard that voice. He heard his voice. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. In Revelation chapter 1, in verse 12 through 18, it says, Then I turned to see the voice. Here's John saying, I heard it, and I turned to see the voice. You don't see the voice. You see the person. You see the voice in Scripture is Jesus. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the seven lampstand was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about his chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His voice is a sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand the seven stars out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in all of his strength. And John said, when I saw him, he only had one reaction. I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am him who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades, and I have the keys of death. Revelation 4 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, say, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. God said to Noah on that day, Come in, and I will show you more of my plan.'" 
Come in to my manifest presence in the ark. Once Noah heard the voice, the door was shut and it was sealed. It was too late. The day of God's wrath had come and who will stand in that day? Oh, the signs were evident, but all ignored what was coming. All said, it doesn't matter. It's just about freedom. It's just about fairness. It's just about rights. It's just, it's just, it's just, but it's never justice in the eyes of God. It's never just in the eyes of God unless it proceeds from the word of God. All things will wither and fade. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God, it abides forever. That's why when he returns, out of his mouth comes a strong, uh, a sharp two-edged sword. There is a flood coming. Oh, it's not of rain. It's a flood of unrighteousness. It's changing the moral fiber of our nation and of our world. This is unlike any flood we've ever seen before because of the fulfillment of the prophetic warnings of the last day. And just as Noah and his family needed an ark of safety from the coming storm, so you and I need an ark for our family and for ourselves. And that ark is the presence of God. When you enter into the presence of God, you are in the ark of God. You cannot be safer than when you're in the presence of God. Outside of the presence of God, nothing you have will make you secure. You will never feel secure outside the presence of God. Noah needed more than the ark. He needed the presence of God. Let me ask you a couple of questions. These may seem unusual, but here's the first one. Answer the why in your life, and the rest is easy. Why am I here? Significant day, the day I was born, but the significant, really significant comes, why was I born? And then secondly, if you could pick one word to describe yourself, what would it be? One word, what would it be? What's that one word that comes to your mind? You said, that word describes me. Now, you might want to just go the super spiritual route and say saved. I agree. Now go to the next word. Now what word describes you? When God begins to take that word and bring it to your heart, that one word will begin to point you in the direction of your purpose on earth. You'll take that one word and you begin to pray, God, this is the one word that I think describes me. How is that aligned to my purpose in life? See what God can do with that. I want you to stand and we're going to pray together. As our band plays and we meditate on that, what is it about my life that can point me to the purposes of God in my life? What is the one word that describes you this morning? That word may not, you say, I don't even know what that word means, but God put a word on my heart. It might be a word like passion. It might be a word like integrity. It might be a word like faithfulness or focus. It might be a word like hope. But you take that one word, and then you begin to pray. And you say, God, would you show me how that one word is aligned to my purpose, the purpose you have for me on planet Earth? 
and you let God begin to speak to you and open up revelation, just as he spoke to Noah. Noah undoubtedly asked a question, something like that in his life. God, why am I here? And God said, let me show you why you're here. Noah wasn't expecting anything like that, nor would you or I. It's too big. It's too vast. It's too hard to put your hands around. What if God would show you something so powerful, so significant, and it was more than just going through the motions of life? It was more than just success in your job. What if it was something more? Oh, you still want to love your family. You still want to be faithful at your job. You still want to do all those things. But what if God would take that one word, that one revelation, and he would begin to open your eyes up to something that was really powerful? Wouldn't that be exciting? Let me just pray, and then we're going to just let the band sing and let you take a few minutes to think about that and worship him. Father, right now, we, we all want to know why we're here on planet Earth. We are so grateful for all the blessings of life things that we take for granted like freedom, good health, employment, friends, family. And God, we are just, we want to be eternally grateful, God. But God, we individually and we as a family and as a church, we have to enter into the presence of God. It's only there that we're safe. It's in your presence there is fullness of joy the presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God, we we invite you powerfully and mightily right now just to be in our midst for Jesus' sake. To begin that, that work of just revealing things to us, the deep things of God, things that can only be seen in the spirit man. They're not seen in the natural mind. God, may we take serious this idea of pursuing you May we ever be, ever be in your presence. May we ever be aligned with you. As the band plays, I want you just to to allow the, the Lord just to speak to you right now. Just take the time right now. We have the time. Let's take the time. Speak to me, oh Lord Jesus, speak to me.